Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Self Love Club, the podcast dedicated to chatting about stuff that matters, real talk and lols. I'm your host, Belle Crawford, on the show, a book club episode, and we're joined by Rebecca Campbell, author of 138 Dates, the true story of one woman's search for everything. Yes, Rebecca set herself a mission to go on 138 dates and documented the experience while also carving out her career as a thriving tech entrepreneur. It's a story of loss, discovery, humiliation and love and her findings may be particularly helpful for those in the dating game. Let's get into it. Rebecca, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Hey, and congratulations. You've released a new book. Tell us about it. Uh, Yes. So the book is about my mission to find love. So, I mean, the background story is I have been a tech entrepreneur for the last 12 years or so. I've built two pretty large businesses in Australia, um, but I got to age 34 and I hadn't dated in 10 years after losing my first partner who was killed in a car accident, sadly. But um, so yeah, I just kind of got stuck. And then I got to 34 and thought, oh my God, I'm going to end up alone for the rest of my life. I'm going to miss out on having a family. And so um, I decided to go on one date every week for a year. That was like my New Year's resolution. Um, And so the story of the book is it's my journey on it took me, it wasn't like one year, it took me three years and 138 dates. It's the journey of like building the tech business. So raising capital in Australia and Silicon Valley. Um, and at the same time, going on 138 dates, I'm getting the lessons that I was learning um, in business and applying them to finding a relationship and the lessons I was learning dating and applying them to business and then also to finding a relationship and growing myself. Yeah, that's the journey. Yeah, we'll go through all of that soon. (laughs) It's such an interesting concept. I love it. And we do talk a lot about dating and relationships on this podcast. So I think people are going to really enjoy your book and hearing this chat. But take us back. Where did you grow up? And growing up, did you know what you wanted to do? Well, I grew up in Whangarei. It was my kind of primary school. And then I went to secondary school in Wellington. And then I went to university in Wellington as well. Whilst I was at uni, I organised a concert. It was to raise awareness of youth suicide in Wellington. Actually, at that time, Wellington had the highest youth suicide rate in the world. And I just wanted to raise awareness of support services for youth mental health. And so I, like, this was my big career break. I called Neil Finn at home. My friend worked at BFM and gave me Neil Finn's home phone number. And I called him up and he answered. And I was like, hey, I've got this idea for a concert. And anyway, we had this big chat and he ended up agreeing to play. And so that was my big break. And then Neil Finn's manager said, you know, I'd love you to come work for me in Sydney. And so I moved to Sydney a year later when I finished university and then, yeah, built a band management company and then and then a couple of tech businesses. That's so cool. Is that something you thought you wanted to do? What did you think you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, I had lots of ideas. I think I did say I wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was like nine years old. I remember <laughs> my mum was selling timeshare in Topo and yeah. um, I met the man who was like selling the timeshare, who was like the business the entrepreneur, I guess. And he told me about how he'd started all these different businesses and like he had a gym. I remember, I'm just remember thinking it was a really cool job and that you didn't have to make a decision. You could do lots of different things. Yeah. And so I said from then on, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then I just had to figure out in what field, but I did want to start a business. Yeah. Tell us about your tech businesses. That's so exciting. And I guess building things from the ground up. And and like you say, there was some work with Silicon Valley too. So tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So I, I mean, I was in music first, which really came from organizing that concert. I wasn't massively into music or anything, but then I organized that concert and I got a job at a band management company. The guy who ran that company said, you should start it. You should manage your, I find your own little band to manage on the side. So you learn the industry. And so I started managing a little band from Brisbane who were called George. They weren't big in New Zealand, but they ended up becoming really successful in Australia. And so a year later, 
I was like, you know, I think I should start my own band management company. I managed them. And then my first next client, and my first client to my own business was actually a New Zealand band called Evermore, who I signed um, when they were just like three little brothers from building. Yeah. So that was like, so yeah, I helped them move. We moved them to Sydney and toured them in Australia and New Zealand. And then I kind of got to like, I was coming up to age 30 and I was like, I can't go to gigs forever. And I couldn't see myself on the big day out tour one more time. (laughs) (laughs) How good was big day out though? I mean, I'm sure for you it was very much a work thing, but I miss big day out. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. And there was a stint there when I got to go on the tour every year. But then there was a point where I was like, you know what, someone else should be doing this because someone else will find this much more fun. Because I was kind of like, I was at the end. And so I was like, what am I going to do next? And then I think that social network movie had just come out. It was like 2010. And so I was like, tech, that would be a cool thing to do. Um, and so my first idea was to build a website that helped to help band sell tickets. So the idea was that you could find your favorite band and then promote tickets to their show and then earn a commission. It didn't really do very well. Like I lost lots of money. Other people like, it's still a big achievement yeah, like, doing something like that. That's that's still huge. It's not a failure. You learned so much and yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I did. It was it wasn't the most amazing education. Yeah. And then I was like, right, I need to wanted to start something else, taking everything that I'd learned building that first business. And I thought, well, shops would be better because shopkeepers really care about their business and they don't like shut after eight weeks like a band's tour does. So, you know, they're not going to have churn every eight weeks. So just lots of lessons like that. And so I built an app. My first app was around referring your favorite cafes, bars and restaurants. And then that was called posse.com. It grew really big. So we had hundreds of thousands of people using the app and lots of stores using it, but I never could figure out how to make it make money, yeah. who was going to pay for it. So then this other guy in Sydney had this app called Beat the Queue, which was about paying at cafes and restaurants. And so I thought well, if we combine our forces, we could build something new and that has become a business called Hey You, which is quite a big tech. Yeah. Uh, it's like the biggest yeah. app in Australia for cafes and restaurants. That's yeah. so cool. Well done. Obviously, you'd had a bit of tragedy with your your first partner passing away. That must have been an extremely challenging time for you. And like you say, afterwards, you didn't date for a really long time. So talk us through that time and, and how tough that must have been. Yeah, I mean, we dated till we met in Wellington when I was at high school and we were together for several years. And then we broke up actually And I don't really know why we broke up. I think it was just more that I thought I was really young and I thought, you know, there's a whole world out there. And I did, I just didn't know what I was doing at that age. And then it was like only a couple of years later, he was tragically killed in a car accident. And that was when I realized the kind of size of my mistake, which was that this was my soulmate and I totally stuffed it up and I would never find anyone like him again. And then there was the whole also, just like, I really felt like I lost my youth I think, or just like, you know, when you're young, you think that you're invincible and you think that you live forever and your friends live forever. And it's a long time before you ever have to think about death. And then just that someone could be there and then be gone was just such a big shock. And yeah, I just didn't, I'd thought about what does it mean for someone to be gone? Surely he must be somewhere. And I tried to process it in my kind of, you know, 23, 24 year old (laughs) brain. I didn't, yeah, I just figured out some naive ways to cope, I guess. Yeah, yeah. How did you get through that time, you know? How did you get through it? Yeah, I guess, as I said, I like naively came up with some coping ideas, which was I thought I had to make up for what happened for like for me causing the breakup of our relationship. I thought that, you know, the best way to do that would be, and I was trying to figure out where he'd gone. And so I remember really clearly one night, like I was lying in bed. It was just after I'd met up with his parents and I was like, where are you? I was trying to figure out where he was. My first thing I wanted to do was to go back in time. And it was like, you know, I was just imagining because we had this beautiful memory, this beautiful camping holiday that we had in Topol and, and we were like by the beach. And so I tried to like close my eyes really tightly and I was like, surely I can just go back there and I use my imagination. And if I open my eyes, like I could just go back in time and I could make everything different. Mm. But then obviously that didn't work. And so then I was thought maybe he would be there. And so I just tried to strain my eyes to see his outline, but he wasn't there. But then, I don't know, I just didn't know where he was. And it was really hard thinking, you know, I knew all of the things that he wanted to do in his life and he had this incredible talent. He was just the most creative, brilliant, loving, like a pure hearted person. 
because I still had a body and he'd lost his body. I don't know, naive way of thinking about it was, why don't you just come and live in my body? Hmm. So I imagined him as this like kind of some drifting spirit somewhere that had lost his body. I was like, maybe he could just join me and then he could just see the world through my Mm. eyes and then I could somehow, that would be like, and then I also said, well, if I'm going to do that, then I have to live a perfect life from now on because I'm now responsible for both of us. He's going to be with me the whole time. Actually gave me a lot of comfort because I believed like one, I could make things right for breaking up with them and, and two, I could keep him alive through me. But yeah. it turned out it was a point in time where I had to give that up. Yeah, you have to let go and live your life, hey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you got to this point where you're like, okay, I haven't dated in a really long time. Like where do you start? <laughs> I mean, the dating game changes so much and like we joke about it like we joke but we don't joke you know there's so many tiktoks these days about things in the dating world and it's pretty much it's a shit show at the best of times it's there's some interesting times you have on dates and it's just hard to meet the right person for each other you know there's so many factors at play so when you started dating where did you start and I guess it did give you a really great story for a book so yeah so what did you do and tell it talk us through some of these dates Uh, well first of all it was terrifying because I hadn't been on a date in so long and I had built a bit of a profile in business and I had kind of built this like power woman I guess that was my whole like identity that I had developed in the world and to kind of open myself up and put myself on the internet as available in the book I was like I felt like I was a cow that was for sale at a market or something like (laughs) I really did feel like it's like oh my god like and I'm supposed to be this powerful woman that's got it all together and so I found that really hard but I had just reached that point in life where I could see that I was going to miss out on everything unless I did it and so it was like I reached that breaking point where I was was just going to push me over the edge to actually do it then my first step was just I just signed up on eHarmony and I filled out all the questions I put a photo up and then as soon as I saw all those faces pop up on the screen I was immediately like ah this is quite exciting actually yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I started firing out the little messages and, and I started getting responses and I was like ah because you had for not dating for 10 years you know I had no idea if I was hideously unattractive just didn't know that was a big fear as well like would would there be no one that would find me attractive and I didn't want to find out actually I was like if I am hideously attractive I don't want to know about it but you know obviously I did find out it was fine but um but yeah then I then I started messaging and then um you know I went on my first date and so talk us through the difference so you set yourself like a certain amount of dates you had to go on 138 dates and so it was every week you were going on a date right yes every week I mean so this was my thinking is that I had been pretty successful at building businesses and that the way that I built businesses was that I'd set like a crazy big goal and then I worked out kind of strict targets, specific targets, and then I just followed them and like gone for it. And I knew at the beginning of building the business that there would be like so many things that I didn't know and so many mistakes that I would make, but that as long as I kept going that I'd probably get there. And so I really carried that belief into dating Whereas like, okay, I'm just going to set myself this goal to find a partner and I'm just going to do, you know, a date a week or a year. That's my commitment to myself. And I know it's going to be really hard and I'm probably going to stuff up lots of things. But I know that if I keep going, I've got this kind of like, yeah, I'm confident that I can probably figure this out. Yeah. What were some of your biggest yeah. observations or I guess learnings from dating lots of different people? That sounds like a lot and it's, it's it can be exhausting going on a lot of dates as well, you know, meeting someone and you know, they want to know about you and doing all the small talk again, you know, over and over again can be quite draining. Yes. So I think at the beginning, I mean, the first learning, I had a really beautiful first date with this lovely guy who was a sales manager at Vodafone and um, we met and we just had dinner at um, this nice little restaurant next to my office and we just chatted about, I don't know, I could tell that he was really nervous and, but he was, the conversation flowed quite nicely, but he was nervous as well. And at the end of the day, he goes, um, you know, I've got to admit that this, tell you that this is my first ever online date. And I was like, oh, this is my first online date too. <laughs> and then we ended up going out a few times. But I think that taught me that that, that was a big lesson was there are nice guys out there. Yeah. And, you know, guys are just as nervous as the women. Yeah, like it's just, there are genuine people out there looking for a relationship. And yeah. th- we weren't a right long-term match. 
but that gave me confidence to keep going and that if I kept going, I would, he was out there and I would uncover him. I just had to find him. Yeah, that's the thing. Like when you are dating, there are, there are some really great people out there and, and I think you have to hold on to that hope and not think that they're like everyone's trash because it's not true. There's some really great people out there and you're right. Sometimes guys can be really nervous on a date, especially, you know, yeah. if, the, if they think the girl's really pretty or like this is new to them. So, yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. really good thing. What about some of the... Not so great dates. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that I learned, like there's lots of things. So there was one thing I would share that I think was useful was I built a pretty good filtering system. So I thought if I wanted to um, go on you know, all these different dates, I needed to filter my candidates, mm. if I, especially if I wanted to kind of be successful at finding a partner. <laughs> I didn't want to go on lots of dates with, you know, I didn't want to meet someone who was dangerous. I didn't want to meet someone who was just going to waste my time mm. because they were not, weren't the right person. So I wouldn't, so, so I ended up, at work, <laughs> this is applying the business strategy. I built a sales funnel for my business, which was, and, and I was like, okay, in the top of the funnel, we get lots and lots of prospects, which is this like potential cafes that are going to pay for our service. Yeah. And then I would work out like different ways of filtering them to work out what is going to be the most likely one to invest our time in, trying to convince to, you know, what's going to be the most likely one to pay. Yeah. And so I thought about my dating in the same way. I was like, I've got the sales funnel. And I want to get as many candidates as possible in the top of the funnel. In business, when you want to get more candidates in the top of the funnel, you look for lots more, lots of different channels. And so I was only using eHarmony as one channel. So then I added RSVP, a different site. I added Tinder in the end as well. I um, started going to events and signing up for classes. So there was like lots more candidates at the top. And then I worked out filters and a system. So um, I kind of actually had messages that I developed, which are in the book, which were like my te- became my template messages. And then I'd cut and paste the responses. I would always set up three, at least three phone calls for a Sunday afternoon, which I would call my screening calls. <laughs> and then one of those phone calls I would go on a date with on a Thursday night, always at the same place. I just got, I built like, a, you know, a better radar for who was going to be likely match over the course of, yeah, those three years. Yeah. Um, people can read your book, but what were some of the, I mean, I'm sure they'll be handy when people are using apps or whatever they're doing, but what was some of your filter, what was part of your filter system? What kind of thing were you checking off? Well, the screening, I wrote like guidelines for screening calls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like red flags on the oh, profiles, yeah. right? So things like, so it's different on Tinder, but on the um, RSVP, for example, or you can see what their what their ideal match is in terms of age. Yeah. So like if they're, if they're like a 40-year-old guy and their ideal match is like goes all the way down to 18, then they're probably mm. not a very good match for me. You know, like they've got to have like, you know, They've got to be looking in the same age group as them, maybe a little bit younger, but not, you know, like crazy young. Mm. Um, and then just also if they talk about, you know, that they're interested in books or if they you can see if they're serious about looking yeah. for a relationship or if they're just for fun. If they just shove something up for fun, they don't really care about it, then mm. they're less likely to be looking for something um, serious. Um, for Tinder, I built some good filters, which was I could figure out I couldn't learn that much about the guys. I could use my very small amount of real estate to warn off people who weren't going to be a match. And I'm pretty progressive from a political perspective, like I'm, you know, like the environment and things like that. So I would put things, I just had like likes and I put like trees, Hillary Clinton, (laughs) and like different things I liked. So then if someone's like, because I went out with someone who was extremely right-wing and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, this it's is not going to be a good yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, please, can we just drink this drink and just go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of the screening calls, I definitely asked the best question I found, this is a screening and like on the date, um, was what do you do for a living? Why do you do that for a living? Like, doesn't matter what it is, yeah. but like, why do you do what you do? I think that that was one of a really, became a really good indicator mm. of values are you a lawyer because your friends at school all did finance and, you know, you wanted to earn lots of money or did you become a lawyer because you saw some injustice and you wanted to correct it and, you yeah. know, some, you're passionate about something. Mm. There was just a way of like working out, do people think about their time? Are they, yeah, yeah do they have values? And, and yeah. are they trying to help other people or what, you know, what, yeah, what are they doing? What are they passionate about? Because I think passion is so important, right? Yeah, yeah. And the way that you choose to spend every day is actually quite a good indicator of whether you are kind of a passionate person mm. and whether you have you thought about it and you know why are you doing that? Like yeah. so I, 
What were some of the yeah. really bad dates you went on? Like, you know, when you sit down for a date and you're like, oh, this is, I can just tell I don't, I'm not interested. It sounds so terrible, but you can just get a vibe and you sit down and you're like, oh, it's just a drink. They would have had there were some bad know. ones. Yeah. There were some bad ones. But but I was quite, the filters became better. And so they, so one was at an early one. I think it might have been the second date, actually. It was one of the first ones. But um, we met for dinner. I was like, this guy's really smart. He's like a computer game programmer. But then when he turned up, he was wearing this like Starcraft t-shirt and like sneakers that would definitely smell if you took them off. And he um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he was like kind of like all stooped over. And it turned out he was actually a professional gamer, but not really professional. He just played games at home right. at his parents' house all day in the dark. And it was kind of sweet. Yeah. So then, then you have all this like conflict because I felt really guilty about yeah. judging him but also we weren't a match and this was like a waste of my time and his time I did try to make it as nice an evening as I could mm. I did like suggest we swapped restaurants to sushi because I knew that they had pre-prepared food and I wouldn't have to wait for the <laughs> like, food to, be, to order and stuff and then wait for yeah. food to be made after that I, I changed my um, I kind of wrote these guidelines as a, and they're in the book, but as I kind of figured them out, but one was we would always meet at a bar where you could choose to stay for dinner if you wanted to. Right. So there was no commitment to have dinner if it wasn't working out yeah. and, and have a phone call first. Cause if it was like, if I'd had a phone call with, you know, that guy, we would have worked out on the phone that it wasn't going to be a match and yeah. it would have saved us both. And it would have saved you know me feeling yucky and him probably feeling a bit yucky as well. Being, you know, he texted me and I said, I didn't think it was a strong enough connection. So so you could probably save all that if you do good, if you're yeah. better on the phone call filtering. And what about, did you meet some really, hor- like I'm sure you met some really lovely people and we'll talk about that, but did you meet some really horrible people that said really outrageous things? Because sometimes you're on a date and you're like, excuse <laughs> me, did you just say that? Like I've been on dates where people say things and you're like, okay, you're a misogynist, right, great. That's This is not going to happen again, yeah. Um, well, there was one like that was, there was, there was one guy who, I had a Hillary Clinton sticker on my computer because it was that time of um, in the world when she was running for president and he saw my laptop and then he's like, am I on a date with a lefty feminist? And I was like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> At the end, we just kind of drank our drink, I think. And then he's like, well, this obviously isn't a thing, um, but, you know, can I give you some advice? Do you want a tip from me? And I was like, okay, uh. whatever, tell me. And he's like, the whole feminism thing really isn't sexy. It's a huge turnoff for other guys, just so you know. I had already done 100 dates by then. If that had been a conversation early on, I might have gone, oh, should I be more, like, discreet about what I think, you know, my opinions on things and stuff? Because mm. I did do that early on, and I and I wondered about how much I should talk about what I did for a living and yeah. whether it would be intimidating or whatever. But after I'd done 100 dates, I was then really at the point where I'd learned just, you know, be yourself and... Mm someone is going to be the right match for me. Yeah, and if they are intimidated by you, then they're not the person for you. Did you ever find that, you know, when you were starting to share a bit more, did you find that, you know, because sometimes I think everyone's getting better, but, you know, if if a a woman's doing amazing things or vice versa or whatever, you know, a lot of men might be, might like you say, be threatened by people. I've been told that I'm threatening before, which I've found really strange because I'm like, I'm really not. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not. I just work hard and just quietly do my thing. But, yeah, like when a guy says that, I used to be like, oh, no. But now I'm like, that is a huge red flag and you're going to do something 100%. to affirm that behavior down the road. Yeah. Yes, 100%. So I did, and this was a question that I came up a lot in my head as I was dating, particularly early on, but really all, almost all the way through until I just got exhausted and, and gave up on it there was one guy that I met who's in the book this guy called Henry who was very hot lawyer mm-hmm. and we had this beautiful date and then we kissed at the end and I was like oh and he's like I'll call you tomorrow and then of course he never called me back and I sat there all weekend looking at my phone texting going like where is he maybe he's lost his phone <laughs> I was quite upset about it but I spoke to my psychologist so there's a psychologist in the book who I saw all the way through and it's got her advice And something she said was like, maybe he's just not buying what you're selling. There's nothing wrong with the product. She said, think of yourself as a product. Like you are you and your, you know, combination of your experiences and your personality. You are, that is your product. And you are shopping for someone and someone is shopping for you. And you just need to find someone who is buying what you're selling. Mm -hmm. So 
he's obviously not buying what you're selling and that's nothing to do with you. That's just what he's looking for. And there is someone out there who is looking for exactly you and you just have to find that person. So then I was like, oh, okay, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe we're just not the right fit. And then she said, and maybe he's not even right. And I was like, what is, what do you mean by right? And she said, well, you know, she said, guys will generally like, and everyone's different in terms of what age group they are when they go through this process. But she said, men will focus on themselves. They'll focus on their friends and their careers and they'll date and stuff. Then at some point in their life, usually for a pretty short period of time, they'll decide that they want to find someone and settle down. Mm. And that is when they're ripe. You need to find one like that, ripe, ready to be picked. (laughs) It's so true though. I love that. It's a really good way to put it because I feel like a lot of the time guys are like that and we've all seen it as we've dated as we got older um, at different stages and ages and everything. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, I'm ready now. I want to settle down. And it's kind of I think it's great but sometimes it's actually really annoyed me because it's like okay so you're ready so so now that's cool you know because a lot of the time people will waste each other's time or date when they're not really ready or they're looking for something like you say there's no hard feelings because it's like you know you are either compatible with someone or you're not or you give it a chance you're not but I I sometimes used to find it annoying when guys would all of a sudden just be ready you know and it's like oh cool you know never mind that we've been ready you know but that's just how it is hey there's no point getting mad about it yeah unfortunately I think it is just how it is and you just need to find one at the right stage yeah definitely and um, and they are out there yeah just sometimes it takes 138 days. Yeah, yeah. Still to come on the show, we find out more about Rebecca's venture of 138 dates, how things ended, and some helpful tips. But first, we're an independent podcast. We love bringing this content to you, but we really need your support. We're not backed by a big dog media company, and this episode isn't sponsored. So there are some easy ways you can support us in continuing to make a free podcast for you. First up, look at whatever podcast app you're listening on right now. Hit follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, hit follow and also click on automatic downloads so that when new episodes drop each week, they're automatically in your feed for you. Also, leave us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people find us. Show us where you're listening. Maybe you're going for a pretty walk or you can take a screenshot of your app and post it on your Instagram story. Tag us at Self Love Club Podcast so we can see and thank you and share. Also follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram to keep up with our content. There's videos of interviews, spicy memes, uh, funny TikToks and just heaps of cute Self Love Club notes. Did the guys you were going on dates with know about this 138th date thing? No. I mean, sometimes if I was seeing some of them for a little while, or like there was a couple that I became, or it was one in particular I became quite good friends with, and so I told him what I was doing. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I wouldn't say, oh, you're number 180, <laughs> you're, you're number 89 or you're number 110 or whatever. But yeah. I was keeping a spreadsheet. I kept a Google spreadsheet in the end of, um, which was not about like ticking off anything or anything. No. It was really just, I was keeping notes just for my own learning. Yeah. But also because I was doing so many screening calls, I would forget sometimes the stories that they would tell me on the call. And so I would make a note about this this person I was speaking to, Josh, and he's got a sister in Adelaide and, you know, he's grew up and blah, blah, blah. So then when I went on the date, I'd had these notes because I found myself sometimes in the dates going, oh, how's your sister in Adelaide? And he'd be like, what? And I'd be like, oh, that was the other guy. Yeah, I know. It's a bit like that when you're using apps or something, you kind of forget and you never want to bring it up in case you've mixed up the person. Um, Yes, yes. Yeah. What were some of the biggest learnings from going all these dates? Did you learn a lot about yourself? Completely changed as a person. I really kind of unraveled, I think, myself as a person and took away all of the things that were getting in the way of me connecting with people. Mm. And I think that was actually a broader, like, even though I had built businesses, I had never been a great leader of people. And I'd always found it difficult to make close friendships, to build loyalty in my team, because I was just a charge forward kind of person. Mm. Um, and so I learned how to connect with people and the joy in connecting with people, mm. with people I think, as well. And it did change how I operated in business, how I operated with my friends and just, yeah. 
And the people, mm. you know, you said you went up to the same place on your dates. Were they aware of what you were doing? Or they're like, ugh. Because <laughs> I, my local cafe, I remember yes. when I was going on a few dates uh, years back, my local cafe, I would take a few there and I was like, okay, I need to stop taking guys here for coffee because, like, <laughs> they're going to be like, okay, all these dates. Not that it That's matters. Funny. Or then I got to know, I, you know, you obviously get to know your, the cafe staff quite well and then they'd be like, one guy would be like, yeah, cool. Because, you know, if they've seen you with someone a few times <laughs> over, they're like, yeah, she's got one. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Did they know what was going on or what? Yes, that's that was a good question actually. So I did I did always go to this one restaurant because it was a bar restaurant. It was yeah. near my house. It had nice lighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wasn't too noisy. And so I was like, this is a good place. And But they had this thing where they had like a script that they would do, which was <laughs> it was a tapper's place. And so the first thing they would say when they sat you down was, have you been here before? Yeah. And then I had the same waitress who just kept coming and she kept saying, have you been here before? Have you been here before? And then she's like, look at me and just, and then she's like, oh, I know you. And then before a date, I ran up half an hour early and I said, look, you know, just so you know, I'm doing this thing where I'm going on a date every Thursday night and I like coming here. It's perfect, yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect lighting and so on. And, um, and please just do your whole script thing. Do the whole, have you been here before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know me. And she was like, okay, okay. That was the first year. Yeah. So then second year, I think I went to New York. I was in New York for year two. And so that, and those dates were all over the place. That was really fun, actually. Also, dating in New York, very different to dating yeah. in Sydney. Talk us through the differences you found dating in New York compared to dating in Sydney, which, I'm, you know, is probably a little bit similar to New Zealand in some ways. I mean, dating in New York is just something people do as a social activity, you know, and guys would just go on dates every every night. And so I'd get invited, like one date is um, someone invited me to a whiskey festival. And so I went and I was like thinking – oh, this guy's guy like me, is he going to call me again? You know, could this be, I was trying to imagine, you know, I could I live in Brooklyn? For him, it was just like, oh, I'm just going out to this whiskey festival, I've got yeah. a date. But it wasn't, it wasn't like in any way that there was going to be anything more than just a, a you know, nice evening together and mm. that was it. So it was just more of a sport, I guess, than, than dating to look for a partner. I mean, I also, so learning in New York, the New York one was I put Aussie gal, looking for adventure in the big city. That was my tagline. Yeah, that's good. And so I was like, I got all of these, like a lot of action on my profile. Yeah, yeah. And then I got a lot of dates, but nobody ever called me back after the first date. And I was like, hang on, I'm looking, I want a relationship. Um, And then there was one date that I went on and he, the guy pulled me aside and he said, pull up your profile. And he said, we started talking. I was like, no one's calling me because it was obvious that, you know, it was not a thing with him, but he was wanted to give me advice. And he showed me, pulled up your profile. And then he said, that does not say looking for marriage and kids. Yeah, that yeah, says, looking for adventure. <laughs> looking yeah. for fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so then I changed my profile to say looking for something serious or something like that. <laughs> and then I got a lot less action on my profile, <laughs> but they were higher quality yeah. dates. And I actually did want to go out again and connect. So I think, yeah, being like clear on your profile about what yeah. it is you're looking for was yeah, what totally. And yeah, being clear on what you want and if you are, do want fun, then it's cool. But then if you're wanting a relationship, just being straight up with what you want, did you get more comfortable in sharing what you were looking for or what you were, what was important to you? Um, yes, although I never said I was looking for a you know, my psychologist actually warned me against saying you're looking to get married and have children on your first date. You know, oh, she's yeah, like, no. that just scares them off. And because it just sounds desperate, obviously. And when I, the night that I met my husband, I knew straight away that he was the one. And he started telling the story about, we're talking about dating stories. And he started talking about like some woman that said on the first date that, you know, did you want to have kids? And that this was really important to her. And, you know, she was getting older and he was just like, whoa. whoa, whoa." And so I was like, okay, note to self. When were you at when you met your husband? Like where, how far into the dating were you? Well, I was 137. Ah, (laughs) Um, Right at the end. I'll show what happened because if anyone doesn't get to read the book, it's kind of hopefully useful if you've lost someone. So I carried Steve through the entire journey. My the boyfriend that was killed talked to him and said, you know, how am I doing? Things like that. And and a close friend of mine had lost his wife at the same age approximately. So we would talk about, I don't know, he would just give me general advice on life. He had remarried and had three children at that stage. And he lived in New York. And then one night 
I had a falling out with a business mentor who was really important to me. And he was just like, I do not want to know you anymore. You're kind of out of my life. And so I started thinking about, well, what does it mean for someone to be gone? Like, can someone actually be gone and actually still be alive? And I was really upset about losing this person who was really close to me. And the relationship has never recovered. I found myself lying on the floor of my apartment at one in the morning, incredibly upset, wondering if I should call like the lifeline, you know, the helpline things, or who could I call? I called my friend in New York and told him what had happened. And then we started talking about being got this concept of people being gone. I asked him to talk about his wife who had passed away. And I said, do you still talk to her? Do you still believe that she's with you? And he was just said, no, I think she's gone. Mm. And I was like, what? People can't be gone. And so I said, do you think people go when they die. So we don't know, you know, you have to choose really what you believe. Mm. And I was like, but Steve's still with me. I still talk to him all the time. And he was like, oh baby, he's gone. He said, you have to believe it. And so I just, I stayed up all night and I thought, is he gone? Are you there? And I imagined him being like gone that day of the accident. Was that the end? You know, did, had he been gone this entire time that I've been talking to nobody? And, and I just thought I would never know the answer to that question, but I'm going to choose to believe that he's somewhere else now and he's not with me anymore. And it was really hard. And I like a lot of tears and feeling like I was letting go of something huge. I didn't know why I felt like I had to believe that he wasn't with me anymore, but I just knew that I had to believe it. Mm. And then my very next date was two weeks later. And that was my beautiful husband. At the end of the book, I spoke to this world leader professor from the University of Toronto in um, dating psychology. And so I interviewed him about what had happened to me and my story and could he like explain it. And he described it in terms of this idea of attachment hierarchy and that you have like all these different people in your life that fulfill different needs. And so you might have like, you know, a friend that you play tennis with, or you might have like different people, someone that you talk to is your emotional support, but you're, you know, the top of the hierarchy is your romantic partner because they fulfill so many of your needs. So they have like, you know, sexual gratification, it might be parenting. It can be the foundation of your whole identity, you know, intellectual, like stimulates, like so many things to that person. And when they're gone, you, that's why we break up with someone you always try and get them back because you're trying to, and then after a while you realize they're not coming back and you start to rearrange your attachment hierarchy and you find other people to fulfill some of those needs. Mm. And then you start to feel better, but grief is really hard because there is no, that that early stage of grief is really difficult because mm. it, the person is gone and you, so I had tried to continue to fulfill some of my attachment needs by believing that he was still with me. And as soon as I let that go, I made space for someone else to come and fill that space, mm. for someone else to come and um, have that place in my attachment hierarchy or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. That was the way that he described it. I wrote it much more clearly yeah, than I just no, described sure. it. And I don't know if that is what, if or if Rod was just exactly the right person and I has, hadn't found him yet. Yeah. Or if that was why, but but it was magic. That's all yeah. I can say. <laughs> yeah. So he was at the end. So took us through like, was he on one of the apps and what was the date <laughs> like? And then obviously you continued and now you're married. So talk us through that. Yeah. So we met, so we did, a, so we met on Tinder. We um, did the screening call and the screening call, I don't remember it being particularly great. It was just like a nice call. And I was like, okay, it was a Friday night. It was the first day that I'd done since I'd had this falling out with the mentor and, and it kind of you know, big personal stuff that I'd been through. And it was a lot going on for me at that point because that business that I ran, Hey You, was starting to do really well. We'd had a meeting with Westpac that day and Westpac had offered to invest in the business that day. And so I was like, I'm so exhausted because I've been preparing for this presentation all week and it had gone really well. And so then this date is going to be kind of like a quick one, like a drink or we'll meet at six o'clock, we'll have a drink and then I'll be home in bed by eight. I was thinking I'll buy, I remember thinking I was going to buy Mex, pick up Mexican on the way home from the Mexican <laughs> place. But then as soon as I saw him, it was like the world stopped turning. You know, I think, I don't know if I've reconstructed that in my head now, but he just looked familiar and we just, we, we immediately, he'd already booked to have dinner. So we just sat down and had dinner and we talked about our families I asked him what he did for a living. He had been a secondary school. He was a university lecturer training teachers. He had been a high school teacher. 
he told me a beautiful story about why he became a teacher, how he wanted to have a bigger impact by learning to teach other teachers. And like, it just felt like this is a match. I can't describe it other than like, it was yeah. like I'd known him forever and this is my match. I knew within 20 minutes, definitely. So I asked the dating psychologist about this. Yeah. Um, and he said that he's like, we're talking about this idea of chemistry and what is chemistry. This is where it comes down to. So I said, what should you look for in a partner? Mm. And he said that they've done a lot of research into what personality traits make for the most successful long-term relationships. And he said, the number one thing is reliability, mm. conscientiousness. And he goes, I know it's not sexy, but steady Nettie is who you're looking for. Yeah, I so <laughs> agree, yeah. He said that, you know, women go for particularly unreliable men because you meet someone, you like them, they don't call you back or they're like, don't turn up when you think they're going to turn up and you get all panicked. Mm. And then when they finally do turn up, you get this huge rush, yeah. which you think of as passion. Yeah. But it's actually just it's actually just relief. So he's like, it is not chemistry at no, all. It's just because you get to a point where you're like, okay, I don't like bad boys anymore because I don't like getting treated like shit. And then, but then sometimes you used to find the nice guys a little bit lovely, but can be a little bit boring, right? But they just you haven't met the right one yeah. yet. And and also, I think as you get older, you realize that nice guys consistency isn't boring. So yeah, one of the most important things for me, I always look out is for consistency so yeah reliability and actions mean everything not that you're putting them on like you're not schooling them you're not like um critiquing them or anything but just watch their actions and are they consistent like you know do they consistently catch want to catch up with you and and is their behavior and communication consistent and if it is great and if it's not I kind of just like okay cool and I think like you say as you get older I'm in my early 30s now you sort of get to a point where you're like I don't want to waste time anymore you know, and not that you're in yeah. a rush or anything, but you just can't be bothered. It's a waste of your time and energy. So as soon as someone shows signs of inconsistency, I'm like, nah. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you now we have two young children. Yeah. <laughs> who are, um, one's just turned three and one's just turned five. Yeah. And they, um, having someone who is reliable yeah. and like, you know, is kind. Yeah. They're all the things that are important. So did you tell your partner at the time about your dating that you've been going on? Not str- not on the no, first date. No, I, mean, no. I told him, like, I can't remember when I told him. Uh, it was a few dates in. Yeah. He just thought it was funny. Yeah. I mean, we were so done, I think. I don't want to give away the very end of the book. No, but I, not. I admitted that I was done before he did. But at the end of the book, you will discover that actually – he was done after the first date as well. Oh, that's so <laughs> it's nice. It's very beautiful. After you finished, obviously you got what you were looking for. You know, how are you yes. feeling after this experiment, I guess? We talk about life now as like BR and after R, like BR being the life that I had before Rod or for him before Rebecca. So yeah. like this feels like a point in life where everything completely changed and it changed so quickly. I was pretty lonely for a really long time. I didn't have anyone to go on holiday with. On Saturday nights, I would sometimes go to the movies by myself because I didn't have anything to do. I don't know. I worked really, really hard. I built this business, but I didn't have massive amounts of friends. And then all of a sudden I had this beautiful partner who was just there and we would wake up and we'd go swimming together and we'd go and get coffee and he'd say, I love you. And it was just beautiful. We'd look for, we looked for a, a house to buy together. And then we got pregnant six months after we met. I felt like, I remember feeling like this can't be legal, you know, like, <laughs> this is like, can't yeah. be, this is just so good. Just being on a Saturday night at home, watching a movie together mm. and then waking up together. I was like, this just feels like I've snuck out or something like <laughs> as a teenager. I was like 37 when I got pregnant, I got pregnant. I thought that we had decided that we were going to start trying and I thought it was going to take me, you know, at least a year or so. You know, when you both know what you want or you know you want to be with each other, things can progress quite quickly. And I think, like you say, you almost think, is this even real? Like, could this even be real? Because I think when yeah. you have been on your own for so long, like a lot of us have in between like little situations or ships or whatever, like you're dating or whatever. And then when it does work yeah. out, you're like, oh gosh, I, I, you start to think maybe this isn't going to happen for me and then it happens and then you're like, whoa, you know, it's, um, yeah, it can all happen quite quickly, which you can almost not believe it, right? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. All I can describe it as is like a London scene where I was kind of like almost reborn of this yeah. new life and it was just beautiful. I was so happy. Yeah. And at the time, so writing the book, I had always written a column. So I wrote a blog and then I wrote a column in the New York Times and for the Australian newspaper mm. and I got asked by a publisher to write a book about business. 
and I started writing this book about business and I just found it really boring. Mm. Like I was just like, this is just not, um, it was a drag for me to get up and write it. Yeah. The most valuable thing in my life is my relationship and my beautiful family that I've created. Yeah. And if there were any women out there that are struggling or, I mean, even if you're not struggling, I still feel like it's a good story, but I just wanted to, I felt like that was going to add more value to the world than writing another book about business. Yeah. And um, I was completely open about everything that I went through and everything that I learned. Most people want to be in a relationship or are interested in relationships or dating or whatever. So, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize these things that everyone's going through and, and the hardships and the, you know, it can be quite hard on the journey to meet the right person, you know, for each of you. Yeah. What would you tell someone who is listening that is currently dating or about to start dating what advice would you give them based on what you've learned what you're looking for I was looking for all the wrong things when I started and I had to go through a process of unlearning what I thought was important so in the book I wrote you know this like my goals I wrote I'm going to go on one date every year and I thought what am I looking for in a partner and I listed it by priority and I wrote smart tall and fun and they were my three things that I wanted and then I like gradually learned through the process of the dates. One is like tall. I still hear so many women say yeah. they're with someone tall, but yet I went on a date with someone who was a doctor at North Shore Hospital and he said, oh, I usually only date blondes, but I decided to make an exception. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what? And he didn't date women over 35. And I was 30, 35, I think. I got home and I looked at my list and I thought, you know what? I felt so awful about being judged for not being blonde. Mm. But really, is judging guys for not being tall any different? Yeah. Because it's just like I'm discriminating based on height. Just like guys discriminating based on breast size or, yeah. or your hair color. Or, yeah. or hair color. So it was like I removed tall. And then, you know, I met someone who was very smart and who was not nice to me. He was yeah. awful to me. And then I thought, okay, actually, Kindness, being caring and yeah, um, kind. kind that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I had that on my qualities. Favorite qualities is like someone who's thoughtful. And yeah, that's kind. Like That's the most attractive thing there is, right? Yes, definitely. Kind. Kind, reliable, positive. You know, those those are the kind of things to look for. And or just be willing to learn. Be compassionate. But the main thing is just don't give up. I never gave up believing that he was out there, that there was the perfect guy was out there and I just had to find him. And I was going to keep looking and looking and looking until I got there. Um, even when there was some very glum times, I didn't want to look back on my life being like 80 or 90 and being, you know, alone in the old people's home with no one coming to visit me and think at least I gave it a shot. You know, I want to know that I gave it everything. And so that's why I kept going on my 138 days. And I would really encourage anyone out there, be smart about it, get good at your filters, but just go out there and don't, yeah, there is someone who's buying what you're selling and you're fine. And, and when it happens, it's just worth everything. Yeah, that's all. I, that's all with, I can say. With all the shitty dates, with all the people that aren't quite the right person for you, um, yeah, it all sort of works out eventually, right? And like you say, when you're often yes. not looking or not expecting it, it can just happen. You never know what's around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and we put so much into our careers. Yeah, it's like, but this is what you know. I put a lot into building businesses. This is what's really created the value in my life. Yeah, you're right. Doing the dating, learning, like this is what life is about. Like, yeah. it's, it's for me anyway. Like you do actually have to put a little bit of effort into the dating thing and I, that's what probably changed for me is I actually was putting a little bit more effort in. I'm a bit like you where I work a lot and then I get a bit busy to message everyone yeah. all the time so then it would be like weeks without messaging. I'm like, I thought to myself, you've got to stop doing that. You know, if you're actually wanting a relationship or to meet someone or to date properly, you've got to stop doing that. You know, it's not cute anymore. So yeah, I stopped <laughs> doing that and then this all happened. So yes, definitely put the effort in and be yourself. That's probably the last thing. Don't yeah. try and change yourself in any oh. way. You need to find someone who's buying you. Nothing worse than getting yeah. stuck with someone than having to pretend. And likewise with them, if you don't really like the person they are, you don't want to get stuck with them, you know? <laughs> yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. Who you are. So a friend during the during the um dating that's in the book said, um, that I found this guy who I thought was a high he was in a high status job. Anyway, but he we had very different opinions about lots of things. But I just hid my opinions because he was pretty cool to be with, I guess. But then it all went disastrously wrong. But my friend afterwards 
said, who you are when you date is who you'll get matched with. You know, if you pretend to be someone who doesn't have opinions, you'll get matched with someone who isn't interested in what you have to say. One more thing to end on, and I'm sure people are going to really enjoy your book, and it's such an interesting concept. I love it. As soon as I saw and I heard about it, I thought, what a great idea, you know, writing about these dates, especially (laughs) because the stories are going to not go nowhere else, right? You just went on them for yourself, really. But, you know, what would you tell your younger self? Obviously, you'd gone through a lot of trauma and you'd had a hard time, done some amazing things career-wise, had an amazing life. But what would you tell yourself, your younger self, if you can go back and tell her what you know now? I think be yourself, love yourself. I think I gave myself a really hard time for not being, like I had this perception of the perfect woman and I wanted to, I don't know where it came from, whether it came from like playing with Barbie dolls or who knows where you get these ideas in your head of what life is supposed to look like. I I gave myself a hard time and I didn't like myself that much because I didn't fit. Mm. You know, I look at other women and particularly like I'm not the most outgoing, like in a room of like a networking event or something, I'm not the woman in the middle of the circle making jokes that everybody is around. And I always thought I should be that woman. I am like kind of on the outskirts, finding it a bit awkward, probably probably walking in between the bathroom and the something. So I look like I'm doing something because I'm embarrassed. I don't. But I used to just give myself such a hard time about those things. And I think as I've gotten older now, I just like embrace that that is me. I am like that. I'm not the most outgoing, funny person, but I have other talents and things that I am good at. So I just focus on those things and find people who like you for who you are. And don't worry about what other people think of you and don't think, I don't know, don't try and change yourself into some homogenous idea of like a perfect, perfect person. Just Mm. embrace your idiosyncrasies and your talents, you know. Exactly. Hey, Rebecca, (laughs) thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed chatting with you and I think people are going to really enjoy this chat and also checking out your book, which we'll put all the links in our show notes so people can find it and view as well. Awesome. Thank you. That was such a lovely chat. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Self Love Club podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We're an independent podcast and you can support us by subscribing on your go-to podcast app. Click follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star glowing review. Show us where you're listening. Maybe you're out for a pretty walk. Uh, Or screenshot and post on your Instagram story and tag us in it at Self Love Club podcast so we can see and share. Share with your friends, sisters, workmates, everyone down into our backlog and enjoy listening you can find us and follow at self-love club podcast i'm abel crawford and we'll catch you soon mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.